Amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Ricky. Choir, praise team for leading us in that time of worship. Indeed, may that be our testimony that through it all, through it all, that we ultimately would depend upon his word. If you'll take your copy of God's word and join me in James chapter 2. James chapter 2, begin reading in verse 1 in just a moment. James chapter 2. First off, let me say that um, kind of give you a kind of a little bit of a heads up of where we'll be the next few weeks. Uh, next week, we'll uh, close out James chapter 2, and really kind of one of the, uh, really many would say the primary text in all of James, helping us to understand that, that faith without works is dead. So we'll see how this week's text kind of leads into that. After that, after next week, then Jamie will be back, and, and he's going to begin really, a, I guess you'll say, a two-Sunday series. He'll preach one, I'll preach one, where we're going to just talk a little bit about, I like to say it this way. I don't know that Jamie and I would necessarily always say it the same way, but I like to say it this way. We're going to talk about the expectations of First Baptist Church members. Say what? You're the interim pastor. You're not even a member, and you have expectations of First Baptist Church, New Orleans? Absolutely, I do. Because God's word, God's word does. And that through it all, through it all, we will absolutely depend upon his word. Through it all, we will, we will listen to and obey God's words and his commands for us as a people of God. Hear me. Yes, I'm an interim pastor. But you know what? You should have expectations of me. Because God's word does. Likewise, we as your staff... As, as those who are serving, as those who are leading, we should have expectations of you and you of us and we of each other. We have expectations of what it means to be a member at First Baptist New Orleans. We have expectations of what it means to be walking in a relationship, a personal, intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So, next week, we'll be at the end of James chapter 2. The following week, Pastor Jamie will be here, and he'll begin to talk about what it means to be a member of First Baptist, some expectations. I will conclude it the following Sunday, and then we'll jump back into James for a little bit. How about that? Be prepared, because we're going to have a good time understanding what it means to be a part of First Baptist New Orleans. James chapter 2, we're going to begin reading in verse 1 in just a moment. And, and, and really, as we begin to, to direct our attention to, to this particular text, here, here's what I like. I guess I'd like to summarize it at the very beginning. And in, in this text, we, we really begin to deal with the problem of partiality. We begin to deal with, with the issue of, of favoritism in the church. Can I kind of just go ahead and say it from the beginning that, that since partiality, since since favoritism is contrary to the gospel, it is a pitfall that every believer must avoid. Can I be quite honest with you? It's probably one of the, one of the greatest pitfalls in all the church. Even in our modern context, even today, it is very easy for we as believers to fall into the sin of partiality, to fall into the, to the sin of favoritism. It's a problem. It's a huge problem. It's such a huge problem that James spends quite a time addressing it here in James chapter 2 as, as he's leading into the, to the pot, well, I don't know about popular, the known text of faith without works is dead. Before he even gets there, he's like, look, let me begin to start the wheels here and, and really uh, help us to understand that, that one of the biggest ways that faith becomes 
looking like it's dead in the church is when the church, individuals, but when the church as a whole begins to, to play favorites. And that's where we land here in James chapter 2, begin reading in verse 1. If you'll take your copy of God's Word, I'll ask you to stand in honor of reading God's Word. We'll read verses 1 through 13. James, writing to the church, says, My brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. For if someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in, if you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes and say, Sit here in a, in a good place, and yet you say to the poor person, You, you stand over there way back over there in the corner. In fact, if you smell bad, you, you get out there. Get, get out of the building and, and, and go in the hallway over there. If you say it to that person, stand over there, or sit here on the floor as a servant by my footstool, haven't you made distinctions among yourself and become judges with evil thoughts? Verse 5. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? Yet you have dishonored the poor. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into court? Don't they blaspheme the, the good name that was invoked over you? name of Christ. Indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed, prescribed in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. If, however, you show favoritism, partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the entire law yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. So if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you're a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. However, praise be to the Lamb of God, mercy triumphs over judgment. Would you pray with me? Gracious, loving Father, I ask that as we dig into your word this morning, that you, that Lord, you would take blinders off of our eyes. Lord, I pray that for myself. I pray that for everyone here. I pray that for, for Lord, especially the members of First Baptist New Orleans, that, Lord, we would not look to the right and left and say, well, who is James speaking to here? Who, is the, who should the Holy Spirit be convicting at this point? But Lord, that, that we would look deep inside ourselves. Lord, that you would search us and try us and know our anxious and wicked thoughts and see if there be any unpleasant way in us. And Lord, help us in the end. Lord, I pray you would lead us in your way everlasting. Lord, show us if we're guilty in our own lives, of playing favorites, of being partial. Lord, I pray that we, as your people, would be a people who love all, who love all because you first loved us. We love you, Lord. We ask it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Look, can I be honest with you? This is, um, 
This is one of those texts whenever Jamie and I talked about preaching through James. We kind of looked at where we would be, and I saw that I would be at the first part of James chapter 2, and I'll have all of James chapter 2. As I began to, to really think about James chapter, one, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, this is one of those texts where that when I first started to read it, that's why I prayed the way I prayed, because when I, when I first started to read it, I, I'll be perfectly honest, as a pastor, as a guy who's pastored churches, as a guy who has done interim pastorates, whenever I first read James chapter 2, let me just be honest, I get in the flesh. And the flesh in me begins to think about people that clearly James would be speaking to. I, 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 can, I can name names right now from this stage if I wanted to, saying that most clearly is someone who's, who has been guilty of showing favoritism. I can name the church. I can name the position. I, I, can, I can name their leadership role. And I, can, and I can look at them and say, they are guilty of showing favoritism. They are guilty of being partial. It didn't take long as I began to read this text over and over again. and really just began to dive in where, I'll be honest, the Holy Spirit kicked me right in the gut. Man, he, he did a number on me. Because can I just be honest with you for a moment? This is something, whether we like to admit it or not, whether, whether we say, oh, no, that's not me, or, or it does, I, listen, let me just go ahead and break your bubble. You, come in here real close, everybody look at me, because I'm talking to you. And to myself, we all are guilty at points, in places, in situations of, of being quite partial. Even to the point where James clearly would say here that it's sinful. You see, partiality is a big problem. It was a problem in the church then. I believe it's a problem in the church today. I'm not picking on First Baptist New Orleans. Because as I look at the text, this is probably one of the churches where I've seen very little show of partiality. But can I tell you, we can still fall into that trap. We can still find ourselves there. James, writing to the church, gave a couple of, of strong pleas to the church. Gave, gave a couple of warnings, shall we say. If you're taking notes this morning, can I begin with this, this first Warning that he gives us. Here, listen to, listen to what James says. He says, beware the pitfall of partiality. Beware the pitfall of partiality. There in verse 1, James uses the language of, my brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism. Don't, don't show this favoritism amongst others and, and, and choose who you like and who you don't like. This word for favoritism really comes from two words. Literally, it means one word is to receive and one word is to face. So basically what James is saying here is, is don't, don't receive people by face. In other words, don't evaluate people on their outward look. Don't evaluate someone on their appearance. Don't receive them by what you see on the exterior is what James says. Look, it, it, don't, don't, 
James basically warns, don't, don't look at a person's outward appearance. Don't, don't show, don't be biased in your judgment by their, by their clothing. Don't be biased in your judgment by, by their beauty. Don't be judged and, and biased, biased in, their, in your judgment by their, by their wealth. Don't, don't, be, don't be judgmental and, and look at someone and receive them because of, of what you might perceive to be their position in life. Don't, don't look at the outward appearance and be judgmental in what you think someone has to offer you and, and your, and in this case, maybe even your congregation. Why? Look, when we think about who Christ is, obviously having genuine faith in the gospel while having an attitude of personal favoritism like this contradicts the very mission of Jesus Christ. When, when we say that we are a people who've received God's mercy, we are undeserving, un, uh, we, 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 don't, we, we, we've done, we can do nothing to earn it. We, we just receive it. We've experienced the love, mercy, and grace of God. How can we, who are people like that, say that, well, I'm going to judge you, though, by, by what you have to offer me. It, it's contradictory to the very mission of Christ. You'll see a text here on the screen. You say, what is the mission of Christ? Luke chapter 4, verses 18 through 19. Listen, listen to what Jesus says. He clearly defines his mission. The Spirit of the Lord is, is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And when you look at that text in its context in Luke chapter 4, obviously you can clearly say that what Jesus is referring to there are the poor in spirit, are, are those who are, set, who are held captive in, in a life of sin. But it's amazing that he uses this, this symmetry, this, this analogy of, of the poor, the ones who are oppressed, the ones who, have, who are blind, the ones who need to be set free. Jesus came to seek out the lowly, Jesus came to heal the blind. Jesus came to live his life walking amongst the beggars. Jesus came not looking at the outward appearance of men and women and boys and girls. But he came so that he could show the love of God to all people. You see prejudice based on physical appearance. Prejudice based upon social status. Prejudice based upon race. Prejudice based upon you fill in the blank. Whatever it is. Prejudice in, in any form is inconsistent with the faith in the one who came to break down all barriers. I've heard people say, why, why do we keep talking about, let me just be honest, why don't we keep talking about the issue of race in the church today? Um, can I tell you, I've been in churches that most certainly are filled with racists. I'm just speaking good, honest truth here. Southern Baptist churches. Why do we keep talking about the issue of race? Because we're sinners. Because, because we... We have a tendency to revert back to the old flesh and to the old self and 
and, and again, whether we like to talk about it, whether we like to admit it or not, we, we begin to see people and judge them upon their outward appearance and what we think they have to offer. We fall into the trap of prejudice and partiality. James says, church, wake up because, because this is contradictory to, to who Christ is. In fact, he gives us a beautiful illustration. It's kind of crazy illustration, right? We'll say this would this never happen in the church today. He illustrates his own point here in verses 2 through 4. Look at it. In, in walks a man into the church wearing a gold ring and some nice clothes, right? From probably just, I can imagine, decked out head to toe. Looking sharp, no doubt, looking sharp. He, he walks in, and, and the church, somebody in the church says, Hey, hey, brother, you're looking sharp today. Come sit by me. I got to get to know you. In walks another man, filthy, dirty rags. It's, it's interesting, I, I, the context here, it's not far-fetched to say, It'd be like one of the homeless population living right out here under the I-10 overpass. They, they come wandering in. They've been living on the streets for months, for years. You know, they may not even smell very good. They might be filthy. They, they may not have nice clothes. And, and the same person who looked at the rich man walking in says, hey, I got to get to know you. They look at the other person in disgust. And say, look, you're, you're not welcome here. At, at least you can't sit by me. Because I won't be able to breathe. You go sit over there. You hang out at the door. Stay back there. Look, I'm not picking at First Baptist New Orleans here. What I love about this church, through the care effect, this is a church that I've seen and I've participated in. Even though I'm not a member here, I've been, I've been on Wednesday night care effects many times where we're just, you love this city and I praise God for that. In that way, First Baptist New Orleans is a diamond in the rough. Because I can tell you there are many other churches who would be absolutely offended, disgusted, and frightened by someone showing up who looked and acted and smelled like that. Very similar to the story of the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10. Can you remember that story? Where the rich young ruler... I asked Jesus, hey, what, what, what do I need to do to be saved? Do you remember Jesus' first response? Obey the law. What was the rich young ruler's response? I got it. I'm good. I'm a law keeper. I'm all good. So I, I know that, that, that I, can, I can inherit eternal life. Jesus said what? This is the audience participation part of our service. I am a professor at the seminary. What was his response? Sell all you possess, give it to the poor, and follow me. 
Mark 10, 22. Just listen. But at these words, he was saddened. And he went away grieving because he was the one, he was one who owned a lot of property. Can I just put this caveat in here really quick? This is not about wealth. I don't don't want to offend anybody in here that God is blessed with wealth. In fact, I want to say, praise God, use your wealth for his glory. That's wonderful. This, This is not about you being wealthy. This is not about you who might be poor. This is not, the problem here is the sin of partiality. The problem here in mean, the rich young ruler was that he, he was holding on to his wealth. His wealth was what was a distraction between he and, and coming to follow Christ. You see, for some in this room, it may not actually be wealth at all. For some in this room, what's keeping you coming to Christ, what you're holding on to is this partiality, is the prejudice. It's not about your status. It's not about your position. The, the issue with the rich young ruler is that, is that he was relying upon his wealth to get him where he needed to be. And Jesus said, you really want to know what it's going to cost you? Get rid of everything. And, and whatever it is, lay aside what's entangling you personally and come follow me. You bring it back to the context of where we are in James chapter 2. So I believe there's people in the church today who hold on to a lot of different things. And we say, Lord, what, what must I really do to inherit eternal life? Jesus' response is, well, whatever it is that's, that's a distraction to you, whatever it is that's a stronghold in your life, whatever, whatever it is that you want to keep, and whatever it is that you want to hold on to for yourself, whatever that is, lay it aside and come follow me. If it's your wealth, if it's, if it's your position, if it's your place, if, what, it doesn't matter. Lay, lay aside that and, and come follow me. And, and as you're coming to follow me, show, what, show others what it, what it means to be a follower of me. By loving everyone. Receiving everyone as I, as I have done. You know, when I think about that rich young ruler, I think there's a lot of churches today that wouldn't let him leave. Jesus said, sell all you got. Give it to the poor. Come follow me. The rich young ruler was upset, so he walked away discouraged. You know what a lot of churches today would do? Let's, don't, don't worry about that. Come on. In fact, we'll, we'll give you a position on, on the stewardship committee. We'll make you chairman of the finance committee. I don't know who the finance chairman is here, so I'm not saying... I'm not, I'm not making any comparison. I'm just saying that's the reality of some churches today. We just, we just receive people and we take people because of the outward appearance. And Jesus says, you don't receive, you don't reject. You, you don't bring into, you don't, you don't discard because of the outward appearance of, of anyone. Avoid the pitfall. Beware of the pitfall of partiality. In fact, it leads us to the second truth here, where Jesus or where James gives us this warning: Beware the the paradox of partiality. Beware the pitfall, and now beware the paradox. That's what we really see here, beginning in verse five. Look at it again. 
Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? Yet, yet you have dishonored the poor. Don't, don't the rich oppress you and drag you into court? Don't they blaspheme the good name that was invoked over you? You see, James is pointing out the, the paradox, the, the inconsistencies between God's character and the attitude of believers who, who show partiality. In the end, it, it's, an, it's an attitude that's inconsistent with the gospel. That's, that's the point here. Well, what is the truth of the gospel? The truth of the gospel is this. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you really want to judge us, there's nobody in here who's good enough. There's nobody in here pretty enough. There's nobody in here who's wealthy enough. There's nobody in here who's smart enough. There's nobody in here who's educated enough. There's nobody in here that has anything in and of themselves that they've been blessed with, that they've, been, that they've received, that they've worked hard and earned. There's nobody in here deserving of the glory of God. Red, yellow, black, and white. Rich, poor, dressed like a, a sharp-dressed man, or somebody wearing rags. It doesn't matter. Nobody in here is deserving of the glory of God. Because we all sin, we fall short of God's glory, we're all deserving of punishment and, 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 and separation and death. The wages of those sin is death. Every one of us deserves it. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the beautiful picture of the gospel. That, that, that the Bible tells us very clearly that, that even though we're undeserving, even though that we're unworthy, that God proved his love towards us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We're not worthy of it. We're not deserving of it. Yet God just showed, of his, showed us his love through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, his son. That's the truth of the gospel. That's what saved these people. That's what made these people heirs of, of, of God's grace, heirs in the kingdom of God. You see it there in verse 5. It was just the gospel that brought us into a right relationship with God Almighty. It was just His love and favor upon all people who would simply trust in the name of Jesus. So it's very inconsistent, James points out, for somebody who's tasted that. If, if you've truly tasted it, you know how unworthy you were and still are. So how in the world, James says, I mean, how, how is it possible for someone like that, a person who's received that, how is it possible for someone like that to reject other people based upon the outward appearance and what they have to offer. It's a paradox. Beware the pitfall of partiality. Beware the, the paradox of partiality. Look, here's the third truth. Beware the pollution. Beware the pollution of partiality. You pick up in verse 8. Indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. What's the greatest commandment? Love God. What's the second greatest commandment? Love all people. Look, if you do those things, 
you're doing very well. We've heard that before. Jesus said that. Now James is saying it. We're, we're, we're constantly reminded. So, so if you will hold on to the royal law, if you will hold on to what God's word teaches, you're, you're doing great. If, however, you show favoritism, look at verse 9. If, however, you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. That word there, if, in verse 8, it's a, it's a first-class conditional sentence, a first-class conditional statement of if. Dr. Stevens, right? If this word for if, really, it's a, it's, it can be translated as, 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 it's a certain thing. It's sense or because. We struggle with it in the English because we really don't have these conditional sentences like this. So, so when you see this if here in the original language, it's saying, since you're already doing this, you who've come to Jesus, since we know you're doing this, right? Let me just put it, here's, here's the best translation I can come up with. Since you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, since you're doing that, since you're loving other people, since you naturally are doing that, then as the law requires, you must love your neighbor as yourself. Since you're doing these things, it's obvious you're, if, you're, if you're following God's word, you're going to show love to all people. So if you're in that boat, if, if you're someone that Christ has come into his life and actually changed, if, if you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in your life and, and you're living for the glory of God, if you are someone who's actually walking in a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, if that's you, then it's impossible. It's impossible to show favoritism and it not be sinful. Verse 9 is very clear. The, the pollution of partiality, whether it's in our life as individuals or whether it's in the life of the church as a whole, hear me. If, if First Baptist New Orleans, let's just make it very specific. If First Baptist New Orleans ever began to shut their doors on people for whatever reason and began to judge, hear me, that would be the moment that this church should shut its doors forever. Because that's a sin that begins to pollute and corrupt, sneak in and kill and destroy the body of Christ. Beware the pollution. Verse 10 and 11, James offers a, an exaggerated example to prove his point. You see it there, right? Look at verse 10 and 11. You know, the Ten Commandments clearly say that you should not commit murder, you should not commit adultery. Both, both are clearly forbidden in the Scriptures, right? So it'd be absolutely crazy for someone to say, well, you know what? I didn't sleep with my neighbor's wife, but I did kill him. That, that's James's point. It's, it's nuts. I'm good. I'm walking with the Lord because I avoided sleeping with his wife. Now, I did kill him. But I'm okay because I, I kept part of the law. It's about as crazy as saying, you know, I, I didn't kill him. But I did kill his reputation by gossiping about him. No, I didn't cheat on him with a spouse. But I did reject him because of the color of his skin. I didn't murder him 
But I, but I, did, I did say, you know what, I, I don't want you around me because, because you're not good enough, smart enough, or popular enough. You see, we sometimes focus on the exaggeration, adultery and murder. When James's point is, it's paradoxical to say, to try to justify it in any way. It's absolutely ludicrous. Discrimination. Discrimination against or, or, or favoritism for. Both sides, same coin, two sides. You follow me? Discrimination against or favoritism for anyone based on the color of their skin, sex, social status, or, or any other surface characteristics violates the word of God, which is the royal law of love, and it's sinful. Yet when I look around the churches in America today, churches where preachers stand and supposedly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yet clearly put people in positions of honor because of social status or, or close doors to people because of the lack thereof. Whatever it is. You see it over and over and over again. James says, beware, church, because that kind of pollution will corrupt you. That, that kind of pollution will ultimately kill you. It will rot you from the inside. So, so what do we do? James ends here with a, with a plea. Hear me, beware the pitfall of partiality, beware the paradox of partiality, beware the pollution of partiality. But here's, here's, the, here's where he ends. Hear the plea against partiality. Hear the plea against partiality. Where is it? Look at verse 12. Speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Look, we're commanded here to act and speak as those who are judged by the merciful law of freedom. What's he talking about there? The gospel. We're, we're, to, we're to treat others and, and act towards others and, and, and use the gospel as our litmus test. You, you deal with others the way God first dealt with you according to the gospel. That's what he's saying here. You, you, don't, you don't want to be judged in the end, then Make sure you're pre treating people now the way God has judged you through the gospel. It, 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 you want to you make sure that, that you and your life as an individual are healthy and walking in a right relationship with God. You, First Baptist, you want to make sure that you're still walking in a way that brings glory to God and all that you think, all that you say, and all that you do. Then everything, everything should be judged according to the gospel. Live your life as someone who has been and will be ultimately one day judged by the gospel. If you do that, if you live like that, then you'll be judged with mercy in the end. 
Now you say, well, how, how could James say something so strong like that? You do understand that this is now leading us to the second half of James chapter 2, where he clearly says, faith without works is dead. Next week, we're going to kind of look at a little kind of comparison and contrast with what Paul says about works compared with what James says about works. There's sometimes some confusion. It's just it, we confuse it, even though I believe the word's very clear. We sometimes confuse it. It shouldn't be confusing. What James is teaching here is if you've truly tasted the love, mercy, and grace of God, if that's really you, then you should live that life out for all to see. You should live that life out for all to see. Your good works are, are not going to save you. They can't set you right. And that's, that's, but if you're saved by God's grace, you now are saved so that you can do good works. In this particular sense here, what, what James is teaching is even when it comes to favoritism, partiality, that, that should be a sin that every one of us just lays aside. We don't judge others according to any rubric, any form of measurement other than the love, mercy, and grace of Jesus Christ found through the cross and his death, his burial, his resurrection. You see, mercy is required of us since we've experienced God's mercy. Matthew chapter 25 Jesus speaking, Matthew 25. Let me just read a few verses, 34 through 40. Listen to what he says. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous man will answer, Lord, when, when did we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and give you something to drink? When did, you, when did we see you a stranger and take you in and, or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the one of these, the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. You see, Scripture is clear. In this current text that we're in, partiality and prejudice, judging people on the outward appearance, receiving them for their face, as James 2.1 says. If, if, if that's who we are, then we ourselves are contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. May it never be. There was a woman by the name of Charlotte Elliott who wrote a, a famous hymn when she, when she came to faith in Christ after realizing that, that he would take her as a sinner just the way that she was. That, that even Christ and, and his receiving of her it would not be based upon favoritism and it not be based upon her worthiness, it was just simply based upon his love, his forgiveness, his choosing. When she came to faith in Christ, I believe it was the Holy Spirit who gave her this inspiration to write this hymn. You've heard it before. Just as I am. 
just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. I, 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 I didn't deserve it. I, I couldn't earn it. And, it's, and, and I would imagine she would say, it's not just about me. It's, it's just that, that God showed love and mercy and grace to, to anyone and everyone who would receive the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Hear me, if you're here this morning, you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Can I, can I challenge you? You've heard the truth of the gospel. Sometimes it's been said that the world is full of people who deny Christ because of a Christian that they have met. How sad is that? I don't know that I necessarily agree, but clearly there are some. There are some people in this world who have rejected Christ because of a Christian that they've met. May that not be said of us. May that not be said of First Baptist New Orleans. But rather, might it be said of us that the world is full of people who trust in Christ because, because of a Christian that they've met. May, may the world, may the neighborhoods and the nations be filled with people who trust in Christ because of someone they met from First Baptist New Orleans. May New Orleans be turned upside down. May it be radically, radically shaken for the gospel of Jesus Christ because somebody on Bourbon Street, someone under the I-10 overpass, someone at Gentilly Walmart comes in contact with a Christian from First Baptist New Orleans. Might that be said of us? We're not going to be a people who show favoritism, who, who put people on pedestals because of what they might or might not have to offer. May we just be a people who love others in the same way that Christ first loved us. If you're here this morning and you are still wrestling with the truth of the gospel because of someone you've met, can I just be honest with you? Don't look at the person to your right or your left. Don't even look at me. Because there's times that I'm a hypocrite. Can, can I tell you, look to the person that we want to represent. Look to the person that we want to portray in our lives. Look to Christ. If you're here this morning, you've never trusted in Jesus. Today is the day. He will receive you without partiality if you'll just call upon his name. For the rest of us, church, James is all about works and faith. May we as a people never, may we as a people never be characterized with partiality for any reason. May we simply be a people who love all because Christ first loved us. Would you pray with me? I'm going to ask with every head bowed and every eye closed as Pastor Ricky and worship leaders come coming to share with you the truth in him just as I am if you're here this morning and again you've never trusted in Jesus today's the day he will take you just as you are don't let today pass without trusting in him the truth of the gospel is yeah you're not worthy of it but he loves you anyways for the rest of us we who've already trusted in Jesus, let's just 
let's just use this as a moment just to get real with ourselves. See if there's a reason that we show partiality or favoritism. I've made a point to keep it according to what the text says. Sometimes we judge people by what we think they can offer us. What, what, if, what if it also could be translated this way? Are you rejecting someone because of, some, because of something they've already done to you? They've wronged me, preacher. So I've written them out of my life. They have no place with me ever again. Yep. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't say that to us? Are you rejecting someone because of what they can offer? Are you rejecting someone because of what they've done? I don't know what it is in your life, but hear me. We all can slip into this. The Holy Spirit kicked me in the mouth this week and showed me where I was doing it in my own life. I'm going to ask you if we'll just stand to your feet with every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here this morning and the Holy Spirit is working in your life, this altar is going to be open. I'm going to have myself and the pastors down here at the front, leadership here at the church. We'd love to receive you. We'd love to tell you how you can trust in Christ. We'd love to tell you how you can, how you can unite with this fellowship. We'd love to tell you the gospel of Jesus Christ. We'd love to remind you that he wants to do a great work in you. How the Lord is leading, I know this, he's always leading. The question is, will you come just as you are, just as you are?